Hello, welcome to the UK Wildlife Podcast. At some point, I will do an intro music or something. I'm Neil Phillips. And I'm Victoria Hillman. We're going to try and stick to a vague format today. But we're only recording this, what, I think we recorded the other one about four days ago. Yeah, I think Thursday we recorded it, so yeah. yeah. It's Monday today, <laughs> Monday the 25th. Exactly a month to the C word, which I won't mention. Um, it's still November. Neil, Neil how Someone had a tree up yesterday. And all the Did, all the decorations and it's like uh, they, they were actually shop. they were putting the, they oh. were putting the Christmas tree up in the leisure centre today when I went to the uh, gym. That's okay because it's kind of like a public place and you're trying to advertise Christmassy stuff. I kind of allow that in November, but um, mm. yes, we've already gone off wildlife. It's great. Where we Christmas have trees. <laughs> Christmas trees. They, uh, they they can have wildlife on in the states. They're really lucky. Some people get um, praying mantis egg cocoons that hatch in their house. Uh, not Which to mention chipmunks have... that might come in on a tree. That's true. <laughs> Isn't sure, that's a Disney cartoon. Never mind. Um, actually, yeah, there have been chipmunks wild in the UK briefly. But that's, that's a story for another podcast again. Um, so, should we start with... Well, what have you been up to, Victoria? Um, well, I can honestly say not a lot, really. Um, my biggest news this week, and it's not even remotely wildlife-related, is that after... A, month post-surgery I'm finally back driving and I went to the gym I had a Sunday roast with my mum and dad nice and that was that was about it so how about you you've got to be Um, doing more interesting stuff well I had a great trip planned on Saturday to go and photograph a very photogenic owl uh to get then to go somewhere else and then the weather was rubbish and I did bath and then I went (laughs) to family yesterday and that's basically (laughs) what I've done so uh yes uh, what's the hu- wildlife highlight the last few days will probably be did a bit of stream dipping today found some nymphs of uh burrowing mayfly nymphs which is the big mayfly um banner nymphs and a minnow probably better. oh i found a water scorpion that's pretty cool oh that is cool that's they're pretty, pretty cool creatures. They're, they're in a stream i find them every time i uh, dip in this stream there's like a little brook it's no more than sort of i don't know it's meter at the very widest it's often usually half of that um bit of vegetation there's water scorpions in there which i've always thought of as a still water animal but um there was, there was plenty of uh, fresh water shrimp in there for them to eat so they can hang on i guess they do all right in there um i have to admit actually the couple of times i've seen them in europe they've been in like little brooks or streams they've, not, yeah. they've been in flowing water not is that is that southern europe where there's less pools though like less ponds around, would you say, or? Uh, not necessarily. No, I mean it is definitely yeah. still. There's still pools and stuff around for them. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. No, maybe maybe it's because I've got a very pond dipping bias, so I've done more pond dipping than stream dipping. So. Yeah. yeah. You have to increase your stream dipping. I do. Fine. A bit more mix. There's a bit of rubbish around Essex. Uh, yeah, I'll probably dip in one of the cleanest streams in Essex where I'm dipping, which isn't that clean. With a conductivity of 400 or something ridiculous, which is uh, oh. quite high. There we go. Anyway, right. Shall we? Have any other highlights I've had? Uh, no, not as good as that. I think I'd mentioned. I said, oh yes, so I mentioned what I saw on that Thursday, in my last podcast. I saw some bats fly around on Friday evening, which is quite nice. Probably pipistrels. Pretty cool. Yeah, a bit I think I've from. actually seen anything other than the standard garden birds. Um, 
There's a pair of wood pigeons that sit on the roof of the garage out the back of the house, and they just look, I don't know, just look ominous every time I see them. Uh, at work, there was a bird feeder in a bush, like thicket, right in the thickness of the bush, and um, the wood pigeons used to sit on the twigs next to it and eat all the bird food. So I um, put it up on a, on a beech tree branch that's high up and a bit more isolated, and they land on the bench below it and just look at me to make me feel guilty, I swear. But, uh, it's plenty of spillage uh, on the floor, but they can't actually get to it anymore. So the small birds actually get a chance now. But um, no shortage of fat wood pigeons oh, I, I, near there. Uh, no, we definitely don't have a shortage of fat wood pigeons, that's for mm-hmm. sure. I did have a magpie um, at my at one of the windows at the house. It actually scared the life out of me because I couldn't work out what this noise was. Mm-hmm. And I got up and had a look and it was right there at the window. Uh. I tell, you, I tell you, very vague. Um, it made me think of um, wildlife because obviously I, um, you've been to Fursley Common with me. Uh, Fursley mm-hmm. Common in Surrey, um, really good site for reptiles and dragonflies. It was the top dragonfly site, but it may have lost that title now. Um, and I was watching more of the worlds last night on the telly, which obviously is set in Surrey. On a, and there's a great scene um, with a tripod. Oh, spoiler alert! A tripod coming out of a a bog pond that could be on us it's meant to be on a Surrey heath somewhere back when see back in those days 100 years ago they had a lot more heathland to explore and be destroyed by martians but um yeah it's quite uh, have you been watching that one victoria at all uh, i can honestly say i haven't no uh, um it's a bit disappointing I to be honest. decided to read my book last night instead yeah probably the wise choice it wasn't rubbish but it wasn't as good as i hoped that series Oh, well, there's another one next week. Maybe it'd be brilliant in the last episode, but we'll see. But um, yes, so you know, vaguely wildlife related, it's aliens. You know, it's life. It was in Britain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> True. Uh, yeah. Very tenuous link, but. <laughs> yes. So should we should we uh, have a chat, yeah. chat about some news articles from this week? Yeah. Do you want to start? Um, I'm actually going to go last because I think mine's probably a bit more of a, a happy or. Yeah, as usual, I've got miserable stories, haven't I? Um, <laughs> I've, I've got one which um, I'll bring. Uh, not Wildlife Trust. Um, uh, some listeners might be familiar with Attenborough Nature Reserve, which isn't named after David Attenborough, but David Attenborough's family are named after the place Attenborough, so he has got a link to it. Um, and the a lot of people don't realise a lot of these nature reserves aren't actually owned by the Wildlife Trust or RSPB or whoever run them they're actually sort of leased or rented or you know managed by yeah um and the owners want to sell up so they're trying to uh, not to wildlife just trying to raise a million pound with an appeal so they can buy it outright and then you know it's preserved it's a really good reserve um friend of mine uh jack perks some people might know it's a fish twitcher and um, he does a lot of stuff over there i think it must be one of his local reserves actually think about it um so that's something to look up. Um, I'll put the link in the notes to their appeal. Um, oh, so some of you might have noticed on the last podcast, I've actually put some pictures and notes um, on the on my website with the where we're hosting it kind of thing, um, so you can read up a little bit more on this stuff. Um, and I'll do it again with this one. What else have we got? Um, oh, super depre- two super depressing stories. Um, Epping Forest Bird Sanctuary. Epping Forest is just north North London, for those who don't know. Um, I have an increasing number of poisoned owls coming in. And I don't think people are poisoned on purpose. I think it's people putting down poison for the rats and they're um, getting poisoned. 
indirectly. So they keep eating poison mice and rats and yeah, not very well. Um, and It'd be super different. If there's any yeah. connection actually when you're saying about people putting like poison cells for, for the rats. I know we had a problem here that mm. we have um, neighbour a few doors down uh, feeds the birds uh, yeah. religiously, puts an, a hell of a lot of food out for the birds, um, mm. like ridiculous amounts of food. And it's actually attracted in rats as well. well we actually, I mean, we back on the fields anyway, so they're yeah, going to be that. here. And it's not really an issue, but, you know, with, I do wonder if there's any kind of connection between, you know, people kind of putting food out for birds. It's attracting rodents oh, yeah. into, into gardens and stuff. They're then putting poison out for the rodents. They're see them running off and being picked up and eaten by owls. Yeah, yeah, probably is. It's, it's a lot mostly urban areas they're getting them from, so it's that's going to be a very likely thing, or just general food waste as well, isn't it? It's gonna yeah. Be. Now and this is where foxes come in handy because, of course, they eat that food waste, which reduces the fox numbers, and they're the only thing that eats rats on a regular basis because uh, cats tend to leave big rats alone for obvious reasons. If you read some of the stories, they're bigger than cats, but I don't think they're quite that big. But <laughs> uh, I mean, we had a pretty big healthy female rat here I think it was a couple of years ago now and she was big and she was healthy um and she actually stole the bird feeder not not just the bird food she actually <laughs> stole the bird feeder um and ran off with it and i've to this day never actually found what she did with it um but she was actually pretty big i mean she's not bigger than a cat but mm. you know she was she was pretty big though must be said mm. there's a uh... I remember I, I worked on a site next to um, a landfill site um, that had lots of foxes, but it did have quite a lot of rats as well. Uh, obviously, it's a huge abundance of food and huge flocks of gulls as well. Um, mm. And one rat was big. You know, we're talking, I don't know, you know, body a foot long, I'd say. Big, that's, big. They, they called him General Sherman. Right? That's got to be touching on the uh, RAUS size, hasn't it? Coming up. Rodents of unusual size. Yeah, could be. Could be. Where, you know, long. T- you got. it's always hard to judge these things when they're running along, but it did look quite big. I've never seen a big one in Lee Valley Park in London as well. But yes. Well, talking of rodents, the mm. other story is um, blooming hazel dormice. Um, I say blooming not because of them, it's just their seemingly inevitable decline um there's been quite a lot of work trying to restore habitats they like coppice woodland so that's trees that are cut down on rotation on a 20 20 or 25 year cycle so you cut one bit one year the bit next door the next year and so on and so on for 25 years so you get lots of thick low growth which suits them but they've still declined by 50 percent in the last 20 years which is a little bit depressing um but there's lots of work. I mean, uh, Wildwood in Kent are breeding them um, and introducing them to areas and stuff like that. So we are working towards it. It's just, let's hope it's enough, really. Yeah. Know. Probably need a few more places to to kind of pick it up. And I think I guess wildlife corridors are going to be really important for them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the, the textbook says they will never touch the ground. They'll always walk for vegetation. Although I remember the famous example against that is, I can't remember what road it was, there's some dual carriageway um, and then somehow got into the hedgerow in the middle of that. So they must have run across at least two lanes of road to get there. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. and colonize it so more than one did it but um still quite interesting i think but but yeah, yeah corridors are very important well there's a bit from it was actually national trust um kind of asking gardeners to let ivy and brambles grow to give them space that's just well. a good idea anyway ivy, it ivy's is. fantastic um and it doesn't kill trees it's a myth but, uh well, I think if a tree's already unwell, it might finish it off. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic tree um, at Doors Hall. Um, I was looking at it the other day. Um, huge, great. I think it's an oak, and the ivy goes almost up to the crown. But it's been covered wow. in insects until the flowers died off a few weeks ago. Mm. Um, and the tree's fine. Yeah. But we're talking, you know, four or five meters across at the bottom. Of the ivy, really nice. Mm really nice little clump little clump huge clump <laughs> well, little clump <laughs> yeah. um and i'll cover not really a, a recent news story but um a chap called ben goldsmith on twitter um i'll put the tweet on the notes um has pointed out that i missed this um that flood prevention one of the um things we've been people have been trying is um for years flood prevention has been dig a channel make it straight as possible get the water down the river straight out into the sea get rid of the water of course that falls apart as soon as it hits a bridge or a town because the water spills out and you know and now now the thinking well it's slowly but surely the thinking is slow the water down um try and keep it in the the river catchment not necessarily in the river but try and st- slow the water so planting trees is one idea because the rain hits the trees and takes longer to get into the river in the first place um and one of the things I think of is leaky dams. Have you come across this? Um, oh. Where you, you put loads of branches and stuff in the river or stream. So high up in, in the hills, it's just, let's say in the hills near the source, you put all mm. these leaky dams in. So the water still flows through, but if you, especially if you put a succession of them, it slows down the flow. Um, if you get a bit of a flood event, it will flood slightly behind the dam um, and hold the water up just to give, you know, so the initial burst can get through and then that water comes down. It also helps with, in summer, stopping drought because obviously if you hold the water back, it soaks into the ground more um, and you basically you get um, less flow over a longer period rather than it all rush out in a flood event and then you've got no water again. Um, and they're paying landowners, uh, what's it, um, I forget what they call it now, but it's like the, the payment scheme we get, um, is it £461.39 for a small wooden leaky dam and £764.42 for a large one? And on paper, great, you know, it's taxpayers' money, but it's helping everyone. Um, uh, but Ben has pointed out quite wisely that the taxpayer could do it for free if we just allowed beavers to do it for us and reintroduce yeah. them. Not introduce them, reintroduce, reintroduce them to where them. they should be. Yes. And And just let them... And you know, let, let them do, do their, their thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's it, there's great research, um, albeit not. Uh, this, this isn't actually from um, the UK. I think it's actually out of, out of America, and they they actually monitored an area that it didn't have beavers, and they were reintroduced, and they actually monitored the biodiversity over like consecutive years, and it it was just phenomenal the amount of change mm. in this one area just from having the beavers there. The biodiversity just went kind of crazy yeah you do one thing you do have to be careful with beavers is because it wasn't until recently they realized the american one was separate 
to British one, uh, to the European one, to European beaver and the American beaver. Um, and the American beaver does build bigger dams, but there's been studies done in the UK and Germany and places like that. Um, and again, the biodiversity goes through the roof when you get put beavers in there. Yeah. That, that's aquatic and the surrounding land as well. So. Yeah. It's a win-win situation mm. for everyone, really. Because a, a lot of, um, I think, oh, which was it Hawfinch and... I, I believe um, willow tit need, need sort of slightly marshy woodland. Mm. So, and what, what will they create? They reckon a lot of part, the decline of some of these woodland birds is because we've um, moved away from having sort of damp woodland. We try and drain it and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Bring back the beavers. Yep. I mean, never get any argument from me on that one. Now, no, now, really? now obviously, there, there can be issues, but what most of them could be solved by not farming within 10 metres of the river, which isn't a good idea for soil erosion and pollution reasons anyway. So, but yeah, that's going to be a, a bit hard one to get through, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, especially when you've got people like the NFU objecting to anything that doesn't involve throwing money at farmers. Well, I say not farmers, but really, it's landowners for doing nothing, basically. But, um, mm. Yes, sad, really. And they always use language like introduced species and then compare beavers to sort of mink and stuff. And it's... It's all a bit depressing. Yeah. Mind you, I was reading something today. Someone was, someone wrote an article. It was on um, one of these nature, community nature blog things, and they're talking about comparing people killing grey squirrels or culling grey squirrels to culling native animals. You're like, that's a totally different kettle of fish. Whether or not culling grey squirrels is right or wrong, we'll get into on another blog post, I think. But blog post podcast and podcast yeah yeah um <laughs> a verbal blog post a verbal blog post yes yeah um, yeah yes yeah, we get into your more happier story i think yeah so yeah in, in kind of like happier news um there's you know kind of a bit of a boost for scottish wildcats um as the plan is that ho- they're hoping that scottish wildcats bred in captivity can be released into the wild for the first time um so this is actually it's going to be the UK's first state-of-the-art breeding centre for the species. And it will actually be based up at the Highland Wildlife Park um, up in Scotland. And they're looking at um, releasing up, up to about 60 wildcats from the centre um, into sites in the Cairngorms National Park over three years, starting in 2020. Uh, and these are areas that, you know, hopefully they can actually go on and, and survive. And... Yeah. and yeah, I mean, they, they would be captive bred, um, but, you know, hoping that they can actually go on and 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 survive and, you know, help boost numbers in the wild. Yeah, because uh, obviously habitat um, loss and um, persecution have been a big problem for them. But I think the thing that's fusing off at the moment is outbreeding with domestic cats. Yeah, hybridisation with feral and domestic cats. Their the biggest species, and uh, yeah, and a problem is of course the really you've got to remove the feral cats, um, and the pet cats should be kept inside or at the very least neutered. Um, mm. We won't get into the whole predation by cats issue today, um, but that has caused a massive problems. So the the theory goes though, if there's enough, I think they have actually shown it actually, not just theory as in commonplace. I mean scientific theory and demonstrated that where you've got a big mass of wildcats they do they don't breed with domestic ones by uh, choice anyway it's only because they've um you know the population is so low that they're sort of forced to breed with 
domestic cats. They don't really like breeding with them. Um, well, I think, I think they're, they're kind of hoping with this as well that they're, yeah. they're actually going to be released into areas where the threat of hybridisation has been removed. Yeah. Um, so give them a good chance, hopefully. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, so I do remember there was some people protesting about um, the removal of feral cats. And by removal, we, we mean permanently. Um, I think it's been suggested, but um, unfortunately, they are a problem. So, and let's face it, if they were rats, people wouldn't object as much, would they? So, yeah. If we didn't it's... keep them as pets, people wouldn't be so fussed about them. But yeah, yes, cats is a is a lovely big episode. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think we true. could definitely probably do a full full episode well, on that. I know someone <laughs> we can bring in on that. Actually, I might we might have a guest for that one. I think I need to chat yeah. to you. I won't say who because I don't want to sort of accidentally shame him if he decides not to do it. But I suspect <laughs> he will. Well, if he doesn't, we can just name and shame him. <laughs> yeah, a former presenter of a certain countryside show it is, but um, right, from okay. long long ago. I haven't oh. mentioned him to, him to you yet, have I? Um, no. But yeah, there's uh, something else about wild cats I was going to mention as well. Yeah, the reason they're using captive stock. Did you read that? Is because they think the wild ones are so hybridised now, there might not be any or very few left. Whereas we know the captive ones are pure or at least as pure as they can be. Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're, hope, they're looking cool. at using cats from Europe to boost the gene pool as well. Yeah. They always have to be a bit careful with that though. Because you can get outbreeding from that as well. <laughs> so, so, yeah. But it's, um, you know, I, th- I think it's it's a positive step. Um, yeah. Oh, definitely. You know, definitely. Yeah. It, it's a, we see so many, you know, unfortunately when you look at like news story or wildlife news stories, you know, there's, there's always so many negative ones, so it, it's good to definitely have a a positive one. You know, so I think it's a good step in the right direction. Yeah, it goes same as I mean, I was pleasantly surprised how quickly the white-tailed seagull reintroduction went in um, the Isle of Wight. Um, although sadly, one of them has disappeared. The one of them wandered over Essex Way and actually landed mm. not a million miles away from me. Um, but I think that one they've lost track of that one. Um, and also down in Arn, um, they've introduced ospreys as well, which is quite good. So that'd be, you could be sitting on, uh, so I've got some friends in Portsmouth from Southampton, they could be sitting on the beach watching white-tailed seagulls and ospreys from there, which would be amazing. But, uh, oh, oh, we have a we have an osprey that visits the sunset levels hmm. pretty much every year now um, and hangs Plus, around for, for quite a while. So never know. So, you they know, keep, maybe. Keep hanging around. Yeah, it's... I've, it's certainly been a few years now it's been around. Um, well, they just um, ra- almost randomly turned up in Wales, didn't they, and started breeding. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, with there's new land that's now been purchased by Somerset Wildlife mm. Trust um, for to kind of boost the, the area on the Avalon marshes and Somerset levels, which mm. is great. Um, so hopefully... You need to you need to, uh, some sea eagles to control those great white egrets that are eating all the marsh frogs. I know. All right. Well, not just the marsh frogs. I mean, you know, they just go for any frogs, won't they? Yeah. It's not fair. Yeah. Stupid errands. <laughs> <laughs> or stupid, skinny, slightly taller than herons that are white herons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, great things. Yeah. So good to see them back, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, uh, we, um, Kent and Essex are starting to get their fair share. There's a site called Wallasey, which I've still not been to. It's currently full of shorted owls, 
hen harriers, great white egrets, and unsurprisingly, photographers going to see them. But <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah. Right, how would you? Do? Oh, we've still got plenty of time. That's good. Um, so I think that's. Oh, should we move on to the question? We've had a question. We're going to. Well, not our first question, but the first question we think we can actually answer. Yeah, and I think it's kind of definitely one for discussion. Should we say? Um, I think probably. I think it is a question, um, but you know, I'll uh, I'll let you kind of bring it up, and then we can have a have a discussion about it because it's it is something that, well, like both Neil and I've chatted about, we it does come up time and time again, but not just in the uh, nature side of things. Yes, this this is the part of the show where I panically type um, my website in, into your address bar to bring up the question. As I talk randomly to stall for time. <laughs> Here we go. Now. Oh, where did he send it to? Is it? I can't remember where Graham sent uh, it to me now. On the first episode. On episode one, shorted oh, out. It was episode one, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Episode two, that's why. So every time I say episode one, it brings back horrible memories of the Phantom Menace. <laughs> Jar Jar Pinks <laughs> Jumped up excuse for a toy advert um, That's one for the spaced fans Here we go Yes, so uh, Nice question from Graham Wallace um, Who, someone I know From my local camera club Ch- Nice chap um, So he asks um, It was interesting and encouraging to hear in episode one of your podcast that young children seem to grow up with quite a good grasp of natural knowledge. They seem to get it more than their parents' generation, which I imagine is probably you and me age. Yeah, I think so. Should I say our ages? I'm I'm mid thirties. I'm late thirties. Yeah, she's older than me. <laughs> so no, um, back to seriousness. Um, how do we yeah. get their parents' generation more interested and engaged in the natural world? Yes. So, and he said it goes on to say how we shouldn't overlook them, which is very true, because mm. um, they can vote and well, we can vote and stuff. But yes, that's something I've often pondered. I mean, um, I mean, I've often felt. I mean, I've got some good friends um, who like wildlife, but most of them are older or younger than me. Um, the friends that are my age have some interest, but. Um, basically if they find a weird looking spider or bird in their garden they message me because they don't know what it is um, and they're not interested enough to have the knowledge to, you know they're not disinterested in it but they're not interested interested in it if that makes sense um, yeah so I, I, I kind of think my theory goes that my our age group sort of people in their 30s now um, some of that I think they call zennials don't they um, I'm sort of on the border of Xennial and old mm. millennial, that sort of age. We didn't have, I mean, I had a local park, but a lot of us didn't have that, um, you know, it's in this age where people look, not looked after their kids better, but were a bit more wary of letting their kids out because there's a lot more traffic and, you know, stories of rather nasty people do stuff to children. Um, so people were a bit more wary of that until you were sort of teenagers, you weren't really allowed out to run around on your own. Um and when you did, there wasn't all that much green space and nature to explore. 
of course when you're a teenager it's uncool to be jumping in the stream catching fish and stuff like that anyway um and at the same but at the same time the younger generation have got all these nature reserves and visitor centers and jobs like mine as an education <laughs> officer that didn't exist i mean the rangers did bits of it but there wasn't i don't think there was that many dedicated education um places in the sort of what when we were growing up sort of what that be sort of 80s early 90s sort of time um was there i guess so if you grew up in the 70s there's a lot more green space and stuff i imagine um that's my theory i don't know how much it holds how much water it holds i, I, I think a lot of it depends on where you grew up and, yeah, and how you grew up i mean i i've grown up more or less in the countryside um you know lived most of my life certainly you know on the edge of countryside if not out in yeah. sticks um yeah you know my parents would, would have both me and my brother out um, we would go and do volunteering at one of the kind of local country parks pretty much you know most Sundays um, yeah and I think we we definitely grew up with it we you know always had a garden um, for as long as I can remember we've always had a pond so we've always had you know fish and frogs and there'd be birds coming in the garden and this that and the other um, yeah so and I think I was going to say, I think, you know, same as you, if I look at a lot of friends of my age now, um, you know, and I'm not talking about my, you know, people that I've met and become friends with through doing the photography and the wildlife research and, you know, Mm. just being a, you know, zoologist, naturalist or whatever, like people that I've met either through, you know, my other activities, say, I don't know, like, because I play touch rugby and dance and stuff like that. So anything through my kind of, non-work related activities i'd actually say a lot of a lot of my friends through that i don't i don't think the interest is is there um as much you know and i think i don't know maybe it's just because you know our lives are so busy now there's i mean this ultimately for neil and i we're really lucky that yeah ultimately nature wildlife and that it's our jobs it's our living and it's also our way of life um yeah, that's our, the career paths that we've taken. So it is very much our career. But, you know, for people that it's not their career, you know, they're working longer mm. hours. Um, you know, they're not yeah. they don't have that time. Well, yeah, especially if you've got kids. I mean, I haven't. Um, not including lunch breaks at work. I haven't been out of my camera last two months i don't think and i think oh well no till i had a day off to go to a conference and spent a morning doing something but i haven't had a full day out photographing stuff i mean it's a quiet time of year so i'm not that fussed and rather spend time with the family to be honest in some ways but um yeah it is true well i mean obviously older generations will probably say oh well we're busy too and stuff like that which is probably fair enough to some degree but um maybe i mean I do read a lot about people, they hit their sort of 40s. I guess the kids reach that age where they're not, you know, they're going out and doing their own thing, kind of in their teenagers. And then suddenly the parents have got a bit more time on their hands and they take up burden again. So maybe there's like a natural gap anyway. So most generations, when they're our age, go for a gap and either they take up burden or if they're interested when they were kids, um, it sort of re- reinvigorates. I mean, even I, to some extent, I never totally lost interest, but I, um, so, you know, I was interested in, so as you get, when you get, you know, become a teenager and stuff, you're too busy trying to be cool to some degree. Not that I ever did very well at that. Um, <laughs> um, luckily, I'm naturally cool, so it doesn't really matter too much, but no, um, 
yes thanks for reaffirming yes didn't laugh yeah, not, yeah. not laughing at that bit um, <laughs> we, we're uh, just we're just you know naturally calling our own ways to our yeah. own groups of people I was, I was always my mum was always like oh don't just follow everyone else so yeah didn't do much more popularity but I was probably happier um yeah, yeah. it's I, I think you'll go through that you know you're worrying about yet even if you like me you're not so worried you're still worried a little bit about it um you know looking too uncool and being picked on and stuff so till I got to sort of to be myself a bit more when I was at sick form and then more even more so at university then university it sort of if I was doing natural history it was really weird I did a paleontological degree um and in my class it felt like I was the only one actually interested in modern day wildlife properly Mm. which is and and I remember my tutor saying to me you can't believe I'm the only one you know you all these people in the um in the group above me there was loads of people that uh were interested but weirdly in that class it just seemed bizarre interested in the dead animals but not so much in the living ones and i actually ended up doing the opposite <laughs> i got bored yeah. the st- stones in the shape of animals are like the ones that moved but um don't get me wrong i do like a bit of pentology but um yeah quite uh i think it's 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 something strange. that and I'm, i don't know if, if you've kind of had it as well neil that you know i do a lot of of talks and presentations for camera um, photographic groups as well as natural history groups and it's probably the one question that crops up time and time again across you know different areas and it's yeah the photography groups as well are saying the same thing how do we get more younger people into the club um you know actually i volunteer i'm on the committee for my local um, wildlife trust group and you know, we, we have great turnouts at our talks. Um, we actually mm. have a Facebook page for it. And, you know, we have a really good turnout. But the reality is the number of people like kind of mine and Neil's age that are actually going to these talks, it's, you know, it is definitely, definitely the mon- minority um, mm. that's turning up. And I think it is just, you know, sometimes, you know, that there's a lot of a lot of people do things in the evenings now as well. I mean, I'm not saying they haven't in the past, but yeah. you know, people have so many activities or things going mm. on in the evening that they have to juggle that as well. Um, there are so many series to watch on Netflix. That is very true. <laughs> yeah, I think out of choice, I'd rather go and... Actually, know, there's not that many good ones. There were so many. Though. They're not so good now. I've got I think Disney Plus coming think- Sorry, you know, pe- people. Distracted. I was just going to say, I think that's the thing. People come in from work, they you know have dinner and whatever, and they just want to sit down and kind of chill out. Um, yeah. Or you know they they have work during the evening, and yeah. And I think I said, yeah, we we did kind of have a chat about the social media mm. role in that as well, didn't we? Yeah, I think a lot. Um, someone did a discussion about this. People in their sort of their twenties and thirties, why they're not going to natural history societies, and I think in some ways the facebook group has kind of replaced that there's people still do meetings these facebook groups um um i'll be showing one round um it's part of my job um this weekend funny enough um and although it's not necessarily people our age um yeah people they still meet up and but they don't have the meetings in a hall so much maybe but and they share photos but they do it each day with the group rather than you know have a meeting once a month kind of thing um mm. But yeah, when I go to these clubs, I'm usually the youngest in the room, and I'm 35 now. But it, it was the same when I was 25. But um, yeah, uh, it's I, I don't I don't think there's I don't think that there's a 
you know, a magic answer. I don't think there's a magic solution to it. No. Um, you know, I think, you know, we, we see all the stuff. I know there's kind of a lot of campaigns about people, um, you know, getting out in nature because it's beneficial for mental mm. health um, and that as well. Watch but that. it's, yeah, yeah it, it's, I don't think that there's a, I don't think there's a magic bullet, you know, to solve it or to, to get these people involved mm. i think you just have to keep keep finding a way and, and you know just put it out there for them and you know if you can connect with them on social media then maybe you can encourage them to go out more i mean i know i've had people you know as a result of either through social media or you know a presentation they've gone well, i never realized that we had that i'm gonna have to go out and have us and start looking and yeah. you know paying more attention when i'm out um and i think it's just going to be a case of one of those just you just have to keep chipping away at it and hopefully you know they'll well i mean i don't I, I probably have a different perspective to you neil because i live in the countryside so yeah you know a lot of people around here we, we have it around us easily accessible all mm. the time i mean i can walk out my house and within 15 minutes i'm in a beautiful wooded valley do you, do you find though right that, now, but. that um in the countryside i've i've actually found and it, it's not a hard fast or you shouldn't generalize but um, I've had classes for more rural areas and the kids know less accurate stuff about wildlife than, you know, the fox, oh, it's a pest. Oh, it kills chickens for fun. Oh, it, you know, oh, we have to shoot them because of this. And you're like, right. Um, and then I've had a class. Admittedly, the teacher was a bit of a wildlife nut. A class from London, and they knew more than any other group. And I mean middle of London. So, you know, they're still in awe of being in a, in a country park for, mm. you know, staying overnight. But it's, yeah, it's it's quite, well, somewhat alarming. You know, the kids have got access to this wildlife and it's seen as something to shoot or a pest to them, most of it, which is a bit, um, a bit worrying. I have but... to admit, I've, I've never come across that. Um, no. I think, you know, maybe so you do interact with a lot of different people, you know, be it, you know, farmers or, you know, landowners or whatever. Um, around here and they do have different attitudes but none of it is you know I've certainly not come across people that have had that you know almost very negative attitude it might be that the the ones that were you know into this stuff were the mouthy ones in the group and the rest of them didn't think that but it was yeah it was a little bit I remember the first time it happened I was a bit, it was, I was a bit taken aback by it you're thinking yeah you know I know you know and maybe that, that them and their parents would consider me a right townie because you know I'd like to look at the science rather than um you know just just say right fox is a pest at all times not saying it can't be mm. a problem animal but um because obviously they can be but um yeah but yeah i don't know getting them engaged i mean photography is a good gateway drug to um to wildlife i mean that rig i think picking up a camera i never lost the interest but what really drew me into borderline obsession was picking up I think I borrowed my wife's camera on a trip to Germany well, ironically Germany not um not folk off in the UK I had played played my sister these are like little comp your little compacts that they don't sell anymore because mobile phones have taken over but um yeah your very basic compact cameras and mm-hmm. started taking photos and I'd, I'd always wanted to take photos but of course when when we were growing up <laughs> we only had <laughs> film we didn't have digital but, it was um, 35 mil and you were very careful as to what photos you took yeah. oh I, I just didn't <laughs> I had a, a boots camera that couldn't focus 
closer than three foot and was a really wide angle. So the photographs I took of a snail <laughs> were just a blurry out of focus. <laughs> um, the first picture I ever took would have been, well, let's do the maths in my head. I'd have been sort of 20, early 20s. It'd been something like 2004, something like that. And I managed to get close to a common data, which, you know, I'm now Essex Jamfly Recorder. I identified a common data as a southern hawker. I don't know how, because <laughs> now I can't even see how they're even. Or was it southern hawker or something like that? Oh, no, no. Actually, to be fair, I thought it was a female broad body chaser, which isn't too bad an ID, I think, because no. they're both sort of yellowy orangey. And I literally had a book that had tiny little pictures in I think it was like mm. Collins Complete Insects which is the worst name book ever because it's got like five percent of the species in it but um yeah I mean I tell you what I think would really help I mean spring watch is good and all at getting people in but if we just did a blooming landmark series I mean they did a great one on Europe I only saw a bit of it last night um on that seven worlds BBC imagine if you had Dave Nattenborough on British Wildlife mm. it don't have to be like a short three-part series um, I mean we have had some really cracking things but you basically need David Attenborough to draw in the crowds see um, I, I think I think you need younger presenters um, and, yeah maybe, maybe you know, yeah. We, we, we've I, had this but, with yeah. you know I've, I've seen it and actually spoken to a few people before and um, yeah don't get me wrong I mean you know David Attenborough's massive you know influence on my life and the route that I took you know for my career but I think, you know, I think if you can get some some younger younger people in there, of yeah. you know, similar age with the people we're trying to connect with as well, I think it it would definitely help. Yeah, I I, I do think a well, I do think just a David Attenborough series though on UK would work because he does seem to draw the people in. That's why Netflix paid a fortune to get him on and do a show for them because it got our demographic and we're the net we're our age group is the netflix user so mm. they wouldn't have done it if it wasn't he's a, he is a draw now to our generation and planet earth too look people our age are caring about plastic waste now yeah so it's, i do but um and people might go oh well there's not much around if you you could do a whole episode on blooming shetland and orkney with all the humpback whales mm. orcas hunting seals along the coast um you know uh, sea eagles oh that's a bit further south um you could you, imagine the documentary they could do trying to find the hen harrier that successfully breeds this is the first yeah. one that's bred in, <laughs> sorry i'm a bit sarcastic there um <laughs> but um but you know or, or you know maybe something that you uh, know maybe put an invertebrate in it or two and yeah. some amphibians yeah and some amphibians i mean she had natchak toads you know tadpoles struggling to survive as their pond dries out i mean it'd be amazing yeah I think it's it's just so I don't I don't think there's a, a hard and fast like magic bullet really that's yeah. going to solve it. I think I I don't necessarily think TV is the way to go because like you said no. you know how much TV do people actually watch these days? I mean I've probably watched more TV in the last month since I had my shoulder surgery than I have the entire year, and that's yeah. more or less because I'm you know certainly the first ten days post surgery I was sleeping most of the time and wasn't able to do anything um and now you know I, I still have to rest a lot and you know I, I don't watch that much tv at all um I've, and even I when me and my husband are home we just don't 
Um, but I don't the thing is we don't have Netflix or Amazon Prime or anything like that. So mm. whatever we watch, it's either a box set that's on one of the players or it's on TV. Yeah. Um, but most of my friends have Amazon Prime or Netflix. You know, I'm like, oh, have you seen this series on Netflix? That series? Well, like, that's oh. it. It could be on Netflix uh, rather than um, BBC. You know, I just mean. But the thing is, if it was on BBC, it'd be on Netflix in six months' time anyway. But um, true. I, I think my, our generation tend to watch it on iPlayer rather than because I watch it on iPlayer because I can get it in Ultra HD if I'm uh, watching it on my telly. So, um, <laughs> so I, I'm such a tech person that sort of stuff. You know, I'm not a complete sucker. I haven't got a massive telly. Well, I've got quite a big one. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not the size that matters. <laughs> it's, matter. it's the quality of the picture. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. I've actually put a couple of my pictures on it. it looks quite, they look rather good, actually. Even though they're my pictures, it shows how good the telly is. But, uh, <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I don't, I don't think there's a, there's a, I think it is the case. You just have to keep kind of plugging away and trying to get people involved. Um, yeah. And I think, and it is our generation, I think, more than, you know, younger, because I think the younger ones, are, younger generations, are much more on the ball. Yeah, I think we still need to nurture that quite a lot, though. I think they're uh, yeah, because um, basically, the the not rule, but um, it's a lot easier to get them before you hit senior school. I find. But what what mm. I, I've often found with that age group, um, especially if you get a, a reasonably well-behaved group, but even some of the, the what you might think of naughty kids, you know, once you you sort of break this little barrier, if you can win over a couple of them, because there's always this sort of pecking order, isn't there, and the popular kids and this kind of, you win over a couple of them, and um, you know, you just especially something like pond dipping, you can really get them going, which is really nice. Um, mm. You can also the other thing I love about the older kids is you can insult them and get away with it. But um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> me yeah. that, <laughs> yeah. I don't hate using the word banter because that's often misused for people being rude to each other. But um, you know, if they start getting a little bit mouthy, you can uh, <laughs> you can shut them up quite quickly, which is quite good. But, um, yeah, but you know, all done in jest, and I make sure I'm not yeah. horrible to them. But um, yeah. It's, it's, I think the, the the other thing that I've actually found has been really good, and it's she had an email come through today. So last year, oh no, sorry, this year, still this year, earlier this year, I actually went into one of the local schools and I did. They have a their careers week, and as part of their careers week, they asked if I would go in and give a presentation for their assembly, and the hall hmm. was absolutely packed out. Um, and I just did, you know, like a twenty minute talk on what I do and how I got into it, and you know they they had they've had such good feedback from it and they've actually asked me if i'll go in and and do it again next year um you know and if you can kind of go in and just be this i don't know yeah ultimately we're we're still normal people you know we we're unless you're a wildlife photographer then you're just very poor (laughs) Uh, yeah that's true what was it as the joke goes uh, what's the difference between uh, a large pizza and a wildlife photographer Okay, this one I've not heard. Go a on. large pizza can feed a family of four. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's probably yeah. not fun. I mean, some more successful ones can afford it. I'm not mentioning any names. Um, but um, I just wrote wrote myself, because obviously I'm not that level, but I just wrote myself off. And uh, mind you, uh, I, I don't want to brag or anything. It sounds like I'm bragging, but I'm pretty good at doing the education stuff. Well, I should bloody be after 10 years of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be pretty rubbish if I'm, I'm not pretty good now. But when I'm on form, when I've got the right class, um, mm. I'm pre- it's a pretty good show. Yeah. 
But I think it, it needs it needs enthusiastic people that are, you know, slightly insane, slightly or insane. insane, or very yeah, insane, a little bit yeah, but crazy. The, one of the best education people I know. I don't know if Tiff's going to listen to this. Hello, Tiff. Um, uh, she is completely bonkers, and I've never seen a class not eating out of her hand. I'm just like, what? And one of my old bosses said to me, "It's it, one of the best things he ever said to me was, it's performance, not teaching. You got, you've got, you've got a day to grab them, you know, yeah. and hook them." And I said, and I always, and I quite often, you know, it's almost a bit of pressure sometimes when you do it because you think. For a lot of these kids, I mean, the, for, the only time I went pond dipping properly as a kid with nets and things was on a school trip. I mean, I did yeah. lots of jam jars and little nets in my mum's pond and stuff like that, but I never went to a proper pond or anything until I started volunteering for the Wildlife Trust. Um, and, yeah, and then you think about, God, and I'm enthusiastic about wildlife. I've got to hook these kids, and I always try and say to them when they leave, you know, you don't have to stop now when you go home you know obviously ask permission but you can look in nan's pond or under her plant pots and look for insects and stuff and that's what got me started i remember someone came into the primary school um, and we went looking around the school grounds and from then on i was always looking under pots and paving slabs much to my parents uh <laughs> dismay <laughs> not, not looking at bugs the fact that i never put them back quite where they'd put them and they, you know they come out and all the pots are wonky and all the stones are moved and mm. you know sometimes off balance <laughs> so they're walking along <laughs> the stone isn't where it should be um yeah, my, how, how my mum and dad didn't break their necks i'll never know but um yes i think you know they're quite right though i mean i think it's whenever you give a talk i mean yeah we've been lucky enough we've both spoke, spoken at bird fair mm. uh, i spoke at the photography show this year you know we both do talks to various different clubs and presentation um clubs and groups and stuff it is a performance. Um, ultimately, you, you're getting up there and, you know, you're not just going, oh, you know, here's a photo of this and blah, 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 blah. You, you've got to really sell it. Mm. You've, um, and I actually think, I mean, I love it. I love speaking to groups. I love getting them involved yeah, as well. So. And that's the thing. Whatever group that you're speaking to, I think you really have to get them, you know, involved in it. Whether it's, you know, a camera club on a Wednesday evening in the depths of winter or it's a school group that you've got out you know pond dipping or whatever you've got to get them involved and get them as part of it because then they feel like they're being included yeah you know yeah, and, and i think your enthusiasm then comes across and i've had some really lovely comments you know this year from my talks where you know they've, they've said that it's just the enthusiasm and the passion just shines through beyond everything else i mean you know the images are fantastic but the passion and the the enthusiasm is really what grabs people and i think that's the same and i think that's the only way to really get people involved is if you've got a real passion is to to share that but not in a i don't know like a preachy kind of way if that makes sense yeah yeah i know what you mean yeah it's 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 a bit like um yeah without dumbing it down too much but not because sometimes it, people feel like, I mean, there is, unfortunately, there does appear to be an increasing amount of um, anti-intellectualism. And I don't mean that in a sort of, um, you know, people, people oh, don't trust the experts, as a certain idiot said a few years ago. Um, and it, there does appear to be quite a bit of that. I get that. Um, I've had it from friends, uh, older friends, um, you know, who seem to resent 
not resent that's the wrong word they seem to sort of dismiss people because they've got a degree and you're like what <laughs> you know oh you think you know yeah. everything no i think i know about the subject i learned about though <laughs> you know? yeah and it's it's uh i mean even my own parents i can't com- i couldn't convince global warming was wasn't natural well to start with i couldn't exist it existed and then it was oh but it's natural and it's kind of you do realize i did a pansological degree that is the basis of the science of what climate's been doing for the last <laughs> that, but <laughs> yes never mind um, but yeah but you say it's not ramming it down their throat anyway i probably didn't say it to them very well but uh um it's, it's, yeah. it's sharing your enthusiasm and passion and yeah. you know if you get that across then that's what that's what wins people over and that's what gets them engaged to maybe want to go out and look at stuff for themselves exactly i mean um because there's that uh it's sort of linked to this the debate where do you sit on a debate on like um attenborough got the only one of the few things he got stick for over the years was he wasn't showing all the things that are going wrong in the world you know um how we're destroying everything and it's all depressing and he always said and i think he had a point that you've got to get people to like the creature before they care about it enough to hear about how we're killing it um and it, it, yeah and i kind I, of if you just go say to people oh we're destroying the rainforest they'll switch off whereas if you say oh look at this lovely orangutan da, da, da. oh by the way we're actually wiping it out after a while you know it's kind of the, yeah that you can't um i did have this conversation with someone a while ago actually and you you can't be negative all the time because if we're yeah. if we're continually negative about it and there's a lot of there's a lot of negative stuff in the natural world right now you know be it whether it's here in the uk or, or globally and i think if you are constantly negative about everything and you don't show the positives and you don't show the amazing animals that live here and then go, look, these amazing creatures live here, but you know, this is happening, but we can do this. And there's these amazing people that are helping to do this. You, you have to find that balance of positive and negative because if it's negative all the time, people will switch off. They have enough negativity in their life as it is, you know, lives are busy. You know, they're tough and obviously depending on what job you do you've got to give them positive mm. messages I, as well i think the one they did really well um i remember was planet earth 2 they showed the turtles um walking going towards the lights which mm. i would known about for years but obviously a lot of people hadn't because it's not popular knowledge but it's something that was in like bbc wildlife god 10 20 years ago i think they head towards the lights because i think it's the the sea reflecting the moonlight mm. um and then they then they do that brilliant thing where they, I actually quite often find the making of a bit more interesting than the actual program. Um, and there's this whole team so of people I. going on with buckets. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but there's, you know, like you, you do a Toe Patrol where they were doing Sea Turtle Baby Patrol, yeah. which was brilliant. Just going along with buckets and picking them up from all these hotels. Oh, it's just, oh, it's just sort of like wonderful fishing them out the drains and um, and I think now they're with this. Um, you not know, seen much of the current series, have you? The Seven Worlds. I actually ones. haven't seen any of it yet. They're actually incorporating that into the program a bit mm. more, which I think works quite well. I do like the whole old format, but I think it, it's working quite nicely actually. Um, and they, uh, I haven't watched the, all of the current one, but they've got the European hamsters in, which I'm very interested in seeing um, because that that counts as a a, a, a forgotten little creature. Because they're small. Although they're furry, I'm going to allow It's a them. mammal. You yeah, know the rules yeah. on forgotten little creatures. Ah, uh, yeah, but but it's it's a cool mammal. 
It is a cool mammal, but yeah, no no mammals or birds allowed no in Forgotten Old Creatures. Okay, well, well, I'll put it overlooked because a lot of people don't realise there's hamsters in Europe. So, but you know, we, we we did actually discuss doing a kind of an overlooked or you know animals that we once had in oh. the UK as well. So I, I listened to a blog. I think it was the BBC Earth um, podcast um, this morning in the car. And there's a society, I think I had heard of it once, I think they're called, I'm going to quickly Google it now, um, the Ugly is it Ugly Animal Society. It is something like that. I have heard of it. Yeah. I'm doing a quick cover now. Ugly Animal Preservation Society, that's it. Yeah. Um, and the Blobfish is their, um, their sort of mascot kind of thing. Yeah, no, I, I have seen that. They look after slugs and, mm. yeah, it's great. Well, I remember... Um, is it Lucy Cook? Um, she was on Dara Brain did some science series and she said, stuff the panda, save the salamander, as in the giant salamander in China, mm-hmm. which lives in, which is um, apparently the world population is basically extinct because they farmed it. And when they looked at the genetics, all the ones in the world, they're all escaped farm animals, yeah. which is rather yeah. depressing. And giant salamanders, he's sort of, you know, one half meter long, huge newts. Quite frankly, it's far more impressive than a stupid black and white bear. But, um, well, I've done, I have a bit of a soft spot for fire salamanders, if I'm honest. But there we go. Fire salamanders are cool. Yeah, but yeah. say, I mean, giant salamanders are pretty. I, I, yeah. I was lucky enough to see a captive one in Germany somewhere. There's a museum in Germany. I want to say Stuttgart, but I don't think it was. And you go around, they've got all these fantastic dioramas of stuffed animals, and they've got that giant salamander. Um, they had giant salamander up in German, and someone translated it. I was like, ooh, it must have a, like, a pickled one. And I went in there, and there's a huge aquarium. I'm like, that's alive. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'd always wanted to see one. I wasn't expecting to see one there, so it was mm. quite cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope hope that kind of helps Graham a little bit. Um, you can tell me off tomorrow night if I've got it. Well, actually, you won't hear it till Because I'm, I'm going to put this out... Um, uh, we're trying to do basically one a week, so we're gonna f- we're recording this one on the Monday, aren't we? And yeah. we're gonna try and squeeze another one in this by week. the weekend, yeah, this week or by the weekend, because somebody's going off to photograph eagles and lama guys. Guys, not that I'm jealous. Yeah, um, yeah no, can't wait to be a missing trip. That does sound brilliant. Um, but yeah, I think I mean, like I said, I don't, I don't think there's a hard and fast answer, but yeah, I think it's got to keep plugging away at it, haven't we, Neil? Yep. And hopefully, you know, maybe, you know, stuff like the podcast and that, they seem to be growing in popularity. Hopefully they can help, you know, get people more engaged. It's stuff people can listen to on a commute to work. Yep, that's what I do. But not, so, not my podcast, obviously. <laughs> Don't hear my Well, my, my commute to work is basically from, it's down one set of steps, so it's not massive yeah. right now. There are, there are some two-minute podcasts. They might be quite useful for you. Yeah, two minutes to get downstairs. Well, actually, I don't, it wouldn't even take me two minutes to get from the kitchen to the office. So, yeah. Yeah. Do it three times. Problem solved. There you go. You, you'll thank me later. Well, I, I did. I've actually walked about 14 kilometres today. Um, nice. So I decided that instead of taking the car um, down to the medical centre, I would actually walk because it said it wasn't going to rain. And then it rained. <laughs> but still good to get out and see how things are changing. But, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, I think we're coming up to an hour anyway now, so that could be a good... We can save the other topic for next we, time. 
Yeah, we are. I think that's because that's going to be quite a long kind mm. of topic, anyway, isn't it? So. Yes, we're we're, we're talking about um, overwintering strategies. We're going we're going we're gonna to do it today, but we've, we start with that question instead, I think. Um, and the insects and stuff are quite complicated. Yes. They do it. So. Uh, yes. We might and I think there's there's some stuff there that will really quite surprise people as well. Hmm. Yes. There's some pretty cool stuff. And um, we're not even going to go into the uh, what the aquatic stuff's doing. I think that's one all for itself. Yeah. Which is there's some really cool stuff there. I think actually doing the overwintering one. Mm. There's a couple of cool animals that we don't get in this country that I think are probably worth mentioning in that one as well. Yes. Would it be a certain wood frog? Might be a certain wood frog. Mm, but there's so. also, I think there's a caterpillar as well. Oh yes. Sneak previews. So, yeah. So there we go. Now you know what our, the next epi- episode is going to be be about. So if you actually, if you have any questions about overwintering strategies, then yes. don't forget you can um, tweet them to us using the hashtag UK Wildlife Podcast. Or leave a comment on the blog blog podcast Fred thing on my website or Facebook. Or Twitter as well. You can you know just send us a send yeah, us a comment tweet. on that as well. Tweet either of us or to the podcast, which is uh, at UK Wildlife Pod, I believe. It is. Yay. Indeed. Yes. And uh, UK Wildlife Podcast is the Facebook page. So, uh, yes. So, this is the bit where you normally forget to plug your book. So plug Yes, your... I shall plug my book. Um, so, for anyone that doesn't know, um, can you believe it was two years ago now? Um, I have my book called Forgotten Little Creatures and it actually covers, because I'm a scientist at heart, it is my kind of creative style of photography, but also filled with loads and loads of cool little facts and stories and both historical and scientific um, about different species. But everything in the book actually is taken within 40 miles of my house in Somerset. Um and it's got all the technical details in there for photographers as well. And it's all plants, invertebrates, amphibians and reptiles. So no birds and mammals. Um, but if you want any more details about that, or if you don't have a copy, and you'd like to order a copy um, for yourself, or maybe because it would make a really good sea present. I don't want to say the word. I kind of have to, want I? Make Christmas. a great Christmas present. Um, Xmas for any kind of nature or, or photography lovers um, you can either you know pop onto my website at vixpix.com or Forgotten Little Creatures has its own Twitter handle as well so you can kind of go on and check that out so yeah. thank you Neil for forcing me to plug my book because I'm absolutely yeah. rubbish at um, yes. plugging myself <laughs> I have nothing to plug well I suppose we both do talks and photo tuition so if you're in the eastern country Check me out at UK underscore wildlife or Podman UK on Twitter and same on Facebook. And if you're in the West half of the country. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, either Frog Lady Vic or um, Fix Picks or Forgotten Little Creatures, um, any of those, or through my website. Um, you know, drop me a message. Um, like Neil said, we both do talks. We love giving talks and presentations and that. So, yeah, if you've got a club or anything that wants us to come along and. Mm show some pictures and have a chat and then you can ask us questions and give us a shout the podcast is now on apple podcasts and a few of the and google podcasts and stuff like that so and 
the Android one. So if you want to listen to us on a player, you can do that. So download us through iTunes. Um, and if you want to give us a nice rating, you know, feel free. That would be lovely. We can put those links on the Facebook page as well. Um, yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll get those on there so you can actually um, click on and follow those as well. Right. Okay, then. Work for. See you next time, everybody. Yeah. Until next time. Take care. Bye.